Hello and welcome to another episode of the Crypto Writers Talks. Today's session is a dialogue session, not exactly an interview. This is more like overhearing a couple of creatives in conversation. And this particular conversation is between Justin Tag, that's me, also known as Devoid in the crypto space, and Rick Galbraith, who is a storyteller, world builder, and narrative developer. He's been in the NFT space for about a year, bouncing off his collaborations with the likes of Beeple and Signal Noise. Rick is big on collaboration as part of all of his artistic output, and today we'll be having a conversation about creative decision-making, from planning versus winging it, and the benefits of bad decisions, to thinking of creative choices based on the state you're in when you're about to make them. So here we go. The thing I wanted to talk to you about most that I thought would be fun was when we were last in a Twitter spaces together, you were talking about, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were talking about how you're a planner. And, um, and, and, and I'm a little bit less of a planner in some ways. And I thought that might be a nice way to kick into this decision-making kind of chat. Yeah, and I like sitting down with a notebook and, uh, and kind of brainstorming ideas and then putting these ideas together and then coming and when I sit and, and when I actually sit down to write or to, to tell a story I can work off those things um, mm. and work them into kind of what I'm doing so yeah it's 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 a kind of a funny it's, it's funny when you know creative decision making creative planning creative thoughts it's like well where does inspiration come from and you know that we, we probably debate that all night as well you know mm. in regards to free will and other <laughs> other <laughs> topic, topics of philosophy that we i know that we both like um but yeah for me like i, I when i so for say for instance you know I, I when i was writing my uh neon and concrete series of short stories which is the series where i got to like work with people and kind of got to know mike um uh, back in 2018 um, when he was still one of the biggest artists in the digital art scene, but like uh, obviously hadn't sold works for $69 million back then. So um, I would, you know, I would take, take three of his images uh, or six, depending on how long of a story that I wanted to write. And I'd talk to him and say, right, okay, I want to write a story about these. Can you give me the high res images, et cetera? And he'd be like, yeah, great, here you go. And then I would literally just go to a bar with my moleskin, order a drink, roll a cigarette and sit and, uh, and, and write notes and just and just try and plan things out for a couple of hours and that, and I really enjoy that process as well actually and then that would facilitate kind of later on where the where the story would go so that's yeah I I, I am uh, and and I don't know whether that comes from you know my my kind of day job my background or experience in um, digital marketing and, and the kind of social media marketing the marketing arena which I've been in uh, you know, professionally for 15 years now. But it's, yeah, it's just the way I am. Yeah, it could do, actually. I mean, there's something we might come to later because I, so I used to teach on an advertising course and it was teaching, essentially teaching students who were going to go on to get jobs in the creative department of like, top 20 ad agencies. And, you know, the, that kind of life, um, it's not for everybody, that's for sure. But one thing that's yeah. very difficult about it is that, you know, you, you are often expected to be able to come in, come up with 100 ideas before lunch and dismiss every single one of them and come up with 100 more after lunch. And the, the thing is, you know, when you get 18-year-olds come into a university straight out of college where often they've been told, you know, if you could just color more inside the lines, then yeah. we could just get you through this course a little bit more effectively. And we essentially had to undo all of that over the next year. I mean, it's, you say undo, I mean, obviously... They're doing it, but what you're trying to do is create an environment. Because um, often what would happen is that they'd come in and, and a lot of these, these students, that they would have the fear, right? And the fear was, what if I make a mistake? What if I get something wrong? What is the right decision? What should I do next that will get me to the thing I want to get to, which was often at that stage, somebody telling them that they were doing a good job. And essentially our job was to try and help them to reach a place where they were less worried about being right, less afraid of, of being 
wrong and more comfortable with living in that space where they were failing in public because kind of once you are willing to do that, I, I suppose this long-winded kind of playoff you'll talk about marketing is that I think one of the things when we talk about decision-making is are you in a position to make the decision you really want to make? And if you're kind of, if, if you're constantly worried about what people are thinking, then you aren't necessarily going to make a decision that's going to guide you to be a better creative. You might only make the decision that allows you to survive the day. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, I mean, like yeah, I've been in these environments before and, um, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to go for a brainstorm, a bit of blue sky thinking. Let's get the, uh, you know, somebody brings in a packet of biscuits and, and, and gives everybody a drink and then you're away and you're firing things off. And I've been the younger guy in these kind of rooms with older, more senior creatives and a little bit worried about things to say. And I've been the older guy in these rooms and with, you know, with slightly more seniority and seen it in, in other people as well. And, and I think, you know, yeah, you have to have a certain amount of confidence in, in yourself and also the people around you to facilitate the freedom um of being able to yeah fire off as many ideas as you can and and i guess you know when it when it when it comes to my writing and storytelling and and the decisions that go in there it's like i've you know i i I got used to being wrong um when i quite uh when i when i was younger actually when i was in university and i i never really like uh, had too much of of an issue with that i would I mean, to be honest, when I first started writing, I wasn't very good, like most people, actually, you know. And uh, and I thought I was uh, pretty amazing, and I wanted to be Hunter S. Thompson, and I wanted to be a cultural commentator and write all of these amazing things. But I got shot down pretty quickly, and um, that that provided me with a little bit of rhino skin, but also a little bit of, um, I guess, the ability just to to dare and to challenge myself and. You know, p- people always ask what, um, you know, why do you write? And there's all the grand philosophical kind of answers to that, which is, you know, like to explore the human condition and um, to, to understand why we're here and all of this sort of stuff. One of my greatest kind of motivations to write is for, for well, since I've been in my early, mid-teens, uh, has been to try and impress my best friend, who's impossible to impress. And uh, I think... I'll, the, we've known each other since we were 16, so 22 years now, and I've been writing pretty much that whole time and t- trying to tell stories. And pretty much in that entire time, he, uh, I think he said to me that he's enjoyed my writing about three times. Um, and that in, its, in itself, it sounds, sounds kind of strange, but having somebody like that in my life, who's my best mate, but also my worst critic, um, has, has you know, kind of allowed me to go, right, okay, it's fine to fail and I don't mind doing that and I don't mind making the wrong decisions or, the, or, the, or making mistakes because I know I've got the security of this guy here who's going to, you know, have my back either way. So it's been an interesting kind of journey that and uh, I think learning, like you say, kind of learning how to fail and learning un- and understanding that, you know, well, as long as you, like, the, there's that old phrase, the only failed writer is one that stopped so it's like if you if you never um, if you if you don't stop you're never really in my eyes at least anyway you're ne- you're never particularly going to fail. Obviously you'll make some yeah. bad decisions and there'll be some stories which won't make sense. But um, yeah, I think if as long as you keep going, you, you're you're able to learn and 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 uh, and get better. Yeah, I agree with that, man. I, th- I think that's actually that plays into one of the things that I wanted to of all the many things that we could talk about today that I could thought would be fun to to throw in. Because I think often one of the things that can hold, and this has definitely been true for me at times, right, is held me back has been the times when I've thought, right, what is, the, like, whether it's writing a story, right, or whether it's should I put this piece of work out or something, it's what is the right decision? You know, what what, what is the, what should I do? You know, what will get me the best result here? And after a while, you know, I, I started to realize that there, there were two ways of looking at the decisions that you were making. There was the short-term view, which is, you know, what am I going to get out of this today? And then there was the long-term view, which I think is, this has become my default operating system now, really, with everything, which is that instead of asking what result might I get today, you're asking, who do I build 
by making this decision either way, right? Whether I get it right or I get it wrong, you know, who am I building? Am I building the person that can make a better version of this decision down the line, right? If I keep making these decisions, if I, in fact, if I sometimes, if, if I'm willing to be wrong quickly rather than kind of be right slowly, then over a period of months and even years, what kind of brain am I making that's going to be able to decipher things better I, I don't know if that kind of adds up to you or not, but it's it's been something that has rattled around with me for a while, that every time you're making a decision, you're adding an extra little bit of information into the network of information you use to kind of make automatic choices down the line. So actually you do yourself um, a disservice by taking too long and hanging around too long with every choice that you're making. How do you feel about that? Yeah, no, I think it makes sense. I think, you know, decision-making in itself is a learned art, and yeah. you, you get better at that as you put yourself in situations where you have to make more decisions. And generally, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a planner. I like to, at least in my writing anyway, generally day-to-day -day life, um, I, I, yeah, I, I guess I, I have a bit of a plan and try to stick to it. Um, but I'm also quite impulsive. And you know, my this 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 friend of mine who was just talking uh, talking about, he's always like, you're the guy that presses the red button uh, as soon as like if something's put you know put in front of you and somebody says, don't push this button. I'm like, <laughs> too late. I've already pushed it. Sorry. Oh man, um, I'd be pushing it too. <laughs> so so um and, and so I and and I guess I I I I'm like that to a degree because I um. I, I, I'm quite good and quite confident or confident in my own um, ability to make, to make decisions. And I think that comes from also, you know, that can stem from all sorts of different things. And uh, like when I, when I was much younger, I spent many years working in kitchens and you have to, you know, the old phrase, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. It's very true. And working with completely crazy chefs, puts you on the spot and you know forces you to make quick decisions and a lot of the time kind of go with go with your guts and go with your in instincts and, and, and to be able to learn how to trust that gut uh, reaction trust that sort of instinctual reaction as well and if you're not put in these situations when you're younger or, or that you they you know for, for whatever reason um you've never kind of ha experienced these things sometimes you know decision-making as a whole can become more and more difficult. My other, uh, my friend, who, again, who I'm just talking about, my best mate, is, let's just call him Bevsky because that's his, um, his kind of his nickname. He actually has decision paralysis and is the complete opposite of me. I guess mm. it's one of the reasons why we get along so well. And similarly, he, um, yeah, he's, uh, and it's quite funny because he has a son now and he's like, um, uh, distilling this decision paralysis onto his son, who's like five years old. And I'm like, what are you doing to this kid, man? You know? So it's like, I, uh, and, and I guess the, the, the decision-making thing, the creative, the creative thing is I've been, I did that in a, in a practical sense in kitchens when I was a kid and that facilitated um, possibly my better or quicker decision kind of making in um, it, when it came to my writing and it came to my creativity and then, you know, when you're a storyteller, when you're an artist, when you are a creative, you've got about a million decisions that you have to make um, like at, at, at the click of a finger. And you, you, you kind of have to start getting good at that because if you start getting decision paralysis when it comes to storytelling and it's like, oh, should mm -hmm. this character have like a blue hat or a red hat? Then that can really, you know, you, you can really suffer and, and grind to a halt. Um, so yeah, the, the decision-making thing is really interesting because like I said, I believe it is a learned art. And once you've um, like practiced that enough and have got good at it and have done perhaps your 10,000 hours, mm. um, then you can, you can really flow then and you, and you find a flow and go, and you have the confidence in your own decisions um, to be able to not have those kind of moments of paralysis or, or complete standstill. And you can you can look at which directions you want to take and 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 follow through on them. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, I, I think one thing that is often a it's a secondary benefit of getting used to making decisions is 
a lot of decision paralysis because I, you know, I, I don't have that so much now, but I know there's been periods of my life where that was me a hundred percent, right. You know, it was constantly right. hang back before making kind of a decision on something. And actually what I think you find the more frequently you are willing to just make a decision, you go with it. You know, I don't know what the right decision is, whether that's a story or other things in life, you know, you just come, I'm going to make the, the hard choices, the ones where you don't obviously know if you obviously know yeah. it's barely even a decision. If you, yeah. if you don't know, then there really isn't necessarily so much to lose most of the time from just choosing. And then you end up training out. It's like it's kind of exposure therapy, right? Like it's kind of a way of getting rid of phobias. You know, you expose yourself to the it thing is. you're afraid yeah. of. And bit by bit, you go, oh, I kind of don't feel so worried about that now. You know, I mean, when I was, um, when I was, I, I don't know how well, I guess I was kind of late university years, so late 2021, I was without doubt, fully terrified of any kind of public speaking absolutely you know desperately afraid of it you know to the point where i remember that being uh, we we did a God, it was such an awful session like we we all went in and they gave us um it's quite a smart session really but it was my nightmare at the time and they basically said right take a piece of paper and on the paper was written a phrase and we had to spend a minute talking about that phrase without ever mentioning the words that were written on the paper and I must have mentioned it 20 times in the first 10 seconds, right? It was a proper, you know, deer in the headlights moment. And I, I remember making it a mission at that point. I said, well, I simply need to no longer have that anxious reaction to facing those kind of scenarios. So I just, I just did it all the time. Every time there was an opportunity to stand up in front of people, I did it. And bit by bit, you, the, the 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 part of you that that kind of stands in the way kind of disappears into the background because you realizes there's nothing to worry about and i think all of that that ties back into this idea of fear of getting something wrong or decision paralysis because there is something to be said for the fact that one of the things we might say is you know what's a good decision but we also might say who are you when you make your best decisions. Does it, so what's the environment you make good decisions in creatively? Uh, you know, for me, I can tell you that I take things like sleep super seriously these days. Like it's, it's a big deal for me. I just know I like, I do, I do a bit of meditation in the mornings, which is not for everybody, yeah. but it's very, very, very much for me. And I can tell you my house is tidy when I meditate and it's not, I don't come out of a meditation session and go right time to tidy up i just kind of automatically do it and i think there's something to be said for who are you when you make your best decisions and how can you curate that person more frequently and equally who are you when you are either at your worst or when you're most likely to be paralyzed in a creative choice and yeah. how can you maybe try not to be that person so frequently yeah it's really interesting i mean I, 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 I like to have that complete, uh, as much of a range as possible. And I will put myself in situations where, you know, I, I come out, I'll go for a walk in the forest. I guess like I live in the Surrey Hills out down in Guildford at the moment. And on a Sunday, I'll try and go for a walk in the forest. And that's like a 12 K walk. It takes two hours. I can put my uh, headphones in if I want or not bother sometimes just to listen to the sound of the trees. And, you know, you have those moments of like, again, inspiration where something comes out and, and uh, but then equally I like, I like the chaos and um, will enjoy uh, embracing that chaos where and when possible. Um, and, and I feel like the decisions and the moments of inspiration that, that, that can come um, are, are equally valid on, on both sides of, of the scale. I think there's, you know, sometimes the chaos can you know, can be uh, a little bit too chaotic and you can kind of um, be under a particular amount of stress or exhaustion or, um, you know, in, in an environment where you don't feel comfortable because you have like uh, a, a pressure from a boss or even pressure from yourself to try and succeed. And those sort of decisions uh, that you make in, the, in those sorts of environments can be uh, the wrong decisions sometimes uh, and I've been in, 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 in positions where you know you you instinctually or, or, or reactively fire something off and it and it kind of ultimately um, wasn't the wasn't the right 
decision to, to have made. But then equally on the kind of, if you take the softly, softly approach and, you know, might be walking along in, in, in the forest and enjoying the sound of the bird and the, and the swaying trees, uh, the idea of potentially not, um, you know, thinking of, of uh, uh, making mm. a decision in, in that environment and then coming down to it and going, oh, actually, no, I don't. So it can happen in both. Bad That's a good point. Can, you know, can happen in both environments, but good equally from my perspective, good decisions can happen in, in both environments as well. Because sometimes when you are put into that super stressful environment and you are a little bit exhausted, those gut reactions and following, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you know, utilizing that lizard brain, which is just firing off stuff all of the time and the subconscious um, that, you know, you have got no idea where things come from sometimes, sometimes provides you with the best stuff. Um, and then equally, if, you, if you're relaxed enough, that kind of uh, arena of the brain, which you sometimes can't access because you are stressed, also facilitates uh, new and interesting ideas and, and different decisions and, and, and allows you to go on different paths. It's a, it's a good point, man, because they do often, you know, I've, I've heard this a few times before that actually there are times when we might say, yeah, it's a good idea to, to relax ahead of this thing. But, you know, you, you don't tend to necessarily say that ahead of um, sport, right? You know, there's, there's certain situations when actually you and, and maybe that comes back to the thing that was said before who are you when you make your best decision but also who do you want to be today for the kind of decisions that you want to make and and sometimes that can be quite a mindful choice but but and sometimes you know sometimes you just want to watch the world burn and maybe even be a, a part of it i guess i mean there's yeah. a there's a phrase that is pretty much my kind of um, operating system-esque motto i suppose and it's don't try to tame the sea, build a ship, right? Because all yeah. of the best things have ever happened in my life, all the things I love the most, all the things in any given day that, that excite me the most, they are the things that come out of absolutely nowhere. I have no idea where they come from. You know, you don't know when you're going to meet such and such a person. You didn't know that this was going to happen. You didn't know that this line for this story was going to suddenly arrive in your mind out of nowhere. And for me, it's always being about chaos is where all the best stuff happens but i know what happens when i let myself get too into the chaos you know that's that's uh, that's <laughs> uh, i've well, been there no no that but that's it and it's like it comes back to you know this idea of equilibrium in life and yeah. um you know ultimately it's see that all of this stuff it's it's so interesting it's such a like a a a, a really challenging kind of topic to engage in um because it's like right again like, i don't want to get super philosophical or, or dive into like right, okay we, we, we have to, <laughs> do we have to fit basically what i'm what i'm, what I'm going to say is do we have to figure out whether or not we have free will because mm-hmm. <laughs> if we do and we're making you know we've got agency and we've got a, and we make our own decisions then there's what that's one side and if we don't and our decisions are down to, you know, everything from environmental, hormonal, um, uh, you know, physical factors, right down to whether or not, you know, we live in a kind of causal yeah. deterministic universe. Uh, it's, it's kind of like, uh, if we go, right, okay, no free will, then, you know, why are we even discussing decision making? If we go, yeah, okay, I'm an existentialist, I believe in free will, then I have to try and understand where my decisions come from. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, having, having, dived into this and explored this a lot in, in my past and in my writing and tried to understand who I, who I am, where I am, what I'm doing and, and, and where my actions come from. I think we do have to, uh, I, well, having done a lot of that, I've got reasonably good at being fairly objective about mm-hmm. my, my agency and myself and going, right, okay, this morning I've woken up and some sort of brain chemistry is not right. And yep. I'm feeling pissed off, and and I can understand that. Very little I can do about that, unfortunately, because I'm a human being and, and I'm at the mercy of these things. Whether it be like I haven't had enough sleep, or uh, I've had a dream that uh, I had a dream the other day that like you know I was at my father's funeral. I woke myself up crying, so then the whole day is fucked. So mm. it's like, do you then? You know, like, how do you make go about making decisions then, you know, from a creative standpoint, if I'm going, right, okay. It, and, but this is, the, you know, sometimes you can really, like, if you are creative and you do have the capacity to, um, to, to explore your creativity 
in a day-to-day basis, then you can go, right, okay, well, all right, I had this very sad dream. I woke myself up crying. Now I'm sad. Can't really do much about that. But I could write a sad story, which will, yeah. uh, <laughs> which, which I, I, you know, how can I use this feeling? And yes. sometimes it's like, right, okay, I'm going to, I wake up and I'm pissed off. And like you say, I want to watch the world burn and you go, right, okay, I'm going to write a, uh, I'm going to write something today or, or try and tell a story, or de- you know, develop an idea for a story where, mm. uh, you know, it's, it's pure action. It's total chaos. And, you know, there's fighting and, or, or you know, like when I, when I broke up with my, uh, with my ex last year, I wrote a lot of little sad stories because I was super sad and it was about like her and I being together in a breakup and various things like that. So I guess when it comes down to this decision-making, like you're saying, you, you know, like you said, we, we kind of have to have this idea of who we are and who mm. we want to be in the decision. That's yeah. really complicated because we've got all of these like infinite sort of factors at, at, at play um, from, yeah, okay, well, I haven't had enough, I haven't hugged somebody in a couple of days, so I don't have had enough oxytocin or um, like dopamine and my serotonin levels are low. So I've only got five likes on my Instagram posts, so I'm feeling sad. Um, so there's all these, you know, there's all these different factors at play. I haven't had my coffee and I'm feeling pissed off, etc. So it's like, I guess from my perspective, if you can be a little bit objective about that yeah. and then utilize what you're experiencing in your creative decision-making. And actually, you know, it's like that old thing. If you, uh, you know, go, well, you know, the old phrase, go with the flow, so to speak. So if you're pissed off and angry at things, don't try and write a happy, like, you know, story or or don't try and make creative decisions, which are going to be about fun and joy and things like that. If you're in, you know, if you're in the position to go, right, okay, today I'm going to focus on this part of this thing that I want to, um, to do then then you can do that or you can you know it's like right okay i'm sad today i'm going to write a sad poem or i'm happy today i'm going to paint a, a happy picture i think it's like understanding where you are as a human what you're experiencing at that moment and trying to utilize it in your creativity and but you know the ridiculous thing is equally you can flip that on its head and you can challenge yourself and go right okay i'm super happy today so i'm going to try and write something sad or i'm super angry today so i'm going to try and write something happy and you can force all sorts of different decisions onto yourself to make uh you know potentially even wilder things so i guess the 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 idea of this is that uh it's not easy being a human or trying to make decisions (laughs) but we can, if we can remain a little bit objective about what, how you're feeling and how you're engaged with the world, then maybe you can utilize that to, to help facilitate, you know, interesting things. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm 100% with you on everything that you said that I think that's, um, the, the hard part can be the object, objectivity. And I, I, I would yeah. echo that point, right? That to find a way to, to just stand, um, <sighs> in opposition to yourself at times and just kind of what am I doing? What am I feeling? What's going on? You know, I even genuinely have that literal conversation with myself. You know, if if I'm going through a tricky, I don't know if a story is not working or something's going on in my life or something like that. And, or life is getting a little bit, um, uh, kind of fuzzy, you know, you kind of, you've got too many things going at once. I find it really helpful to just go, right, where am I right now? Like, not literally what, what room am I in, although that's helpful, but also, you know, where am I with everything? You know, what have I got going on? What did I say I was going to do and where did I say I was going to go? And just kind of line things up again because, um, you know, it sounds a little bit of a, a cold way of saying it, but my, generally speaking, I think that you are what it feels like to be identified with the current constellation of neurological events in your brain right like if you can if if you can have a little bit of that coldness about your view on life even if you want to also kind of like play in slightly more romantic language with it it allows you to understand that when you feel a certain way there are things that can be done about it if you should want to or and i think this is the beautiful place to jump off from with that is the understanding that catalysts are a very, very powerful way to help you make decisions. I mean, without going too deep down this particular road, most of the time I find that my best decisions creatively are actually just from getting out of my own way. You know, I I don't think that most of my writing is me sitting down and making a bloody good decision for word by word. Most of it is, you know, 
I, you know, maybe I'm in the right space. Maybe I've helped myself to get in the right space. Maybe, maybe the best decision I made was that I would write for a certain amount of time each day, for example. So I've got a window yeah. for it. And then getting out of my own way and allowing it to um, arrive on the page and then look at it and go, is that, <laughs> is that where I want to go with this? You know, is it, and it's almost redirecting, you know, kind of hearing um, the story kind of arrive and then nudging it until it starts to feel like the thing that you want it to be. And when you think of it like that, the creative decision-making process really is quite an organic thing if you if you let it be you know if you let it flow in in that way maybe that's not true for everybody but i know that i've come to the very straightforward conclusion that i haven't got a clue what i'm doing most of the time <laughs> it's, yes. I, I i know that there's a story that i'm working on like so, so this book that i'm hopefully releasing next year the best experience i've ever had writing and it was the exact opposite of what i did for the previous projects the project before that was a feature script I had a short film that was optioned as a feature. I was paid to write the feature script. I was really excited and it was a difficult process. I found it really difficult because I felt like, well, now I have to write this story. Do I even want to write this story? You know, I, I guess I have to because I've been asked to do it. Whereas with, with the book, I just kind of had a framework for a story, the general idea of wanting to go, characters, yes, and it wasn't completely off the cuff. But then I just kind of sat down with it and said, I'm not going to do anything less than three pages a day, minimum, um, for five days, you know, for, for three to five days a week, I'll do no less than three pages in my notebook. And it would often be more, but if it was only as few as three, then I would be satisfied with that. And then kind of let it arrive. And the surprises I found in that process were just some of the most like, wonderful experiences I've ever had with any kind of creative work. Because it, there was no effort, you know. The effort came in the second draft <laughs> because it ends up being the yeah. best. But, yeah, but wow, it's, it's I, I totally get that, and um, and I've had similar experiences myself. And you know, um, as you just reminded me of, I think well, I think it's been attributed to Hemingway, but from what I understand, it, it's somebody else. But you know, it's that old adage: uh, write drunk, edit sober. So it's like, yeah. I, don't, I mean, like if, if Hemingway said that, it probably meant it quite literally because I, I, I know <laughs> that he enjoyed a, a few whiskeys. But, um, you know, I always use it as a metaphor that, you know, just, just like you say, get out of your own way, just let it flow. And I very much enjoy doing that with a bit of a plan in place about where I want to go and how I want to take things. But I call it um, my, my gray zone, basically because I can sit down and write. And actually, in, 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 a, in, a, in a funny way, I, uh, I had a, when the first COVID uh, uh, lockdown happened back in March last year, February sort of March time, I, um, I had quite a, a rel I mean, like I guess in comparison to a lot of people, I had relatively nice experience because I kind of got stuck living with my parents. I, I was actually, as you know, I was out in Denmark working for Lego at the time, and I came back um, just as lockdown hit uh, because I had to come. I had to come back uh, to the UK for my, unfortunately, my grandmother's funeral at the time. And then uh, after that, uh, after, after we, you know, managed to to kind of sort that out and 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 and, uh, and had had the cremation, I couldn't get back to Denmark for three months. And I was like, to begin with, it was really challenging because I was back living in my bed as a 38 year old man. I was <laughs> back living with my parents stuck in my bedroom from when I was a teenager and it felt really surreal. Um, but actually the weather was really nice and it was very pleasant being with my, with my folks because I really liked them. And I didn't have, you know, work was kind of stressful because all the marketing campaigns that, I was, that I'd been planning for about a year, all of a sudden, um, were, were nuked and we, we kind of had to restart everything. But I was using my evenings to write. I was working on a cyberpunk uh, novel at the time, uh, just the first draft. And I'd been, I, I think I'd had about uh, 30,000 30, words written, something like this. And I'd been chugging, chugging, chugging along with it and kind of, you know, enjoying the process, but not really finding the time that I needed for it. But then I went during, during the first lockdown, that three months where I was stuck kind of, in inverted commas, stuck living with my parents. I, I wrote about 
yeah, well, I finished the book, basically. I finished the first draft, but I wrote 60,000 words. Nice. And I was able to kind of just sit there with the plan that I had in mind. And it's really one of the most inspirational kind of creative periods I, I feel like I've ever had because I got out of my own way and I had a really strong idea of where I want, wanted to take the story and the character. I had a really, really strong grasp on the character, which had been developed, uh, well, the lead protagonist, which had come from a series of short stories. Then I developed into a novella, which I'd submitted to like a tour open submission thing. And then I was using the novella to turn into a full length manuscript. So I had a lot of stuff in place and I had a really strong idea of where I was going. And that facilitated me to just then go, right, I'll get out of my own way now. And, and, I, and the, the story just flowed. And I remember like sitting down and like I said, I call it, my, I call it the, the gray zone because I will sit and type and I can type thankfully just about as fast as I can think. And, you, you know, mm. after years of being, being in front of the computer and I can, you know, a, a thousand to two thousand words an hour sometimes and just like hammer this stuff out and sit there for three four hours write a whole chapter and kind of turn around and, and, and kind of stand up and go where have i just been and i'll be so involved in yeah, that yeah. and in the words coming out on the page and the, and the moments which i'm creating and the dialogue and everything that it will literally transport me uh, to to another place and I, and I and I absolutely love that when that happens it's like the most joyous sort of feeling yeah. and the decisions that happen in the in that in that process in those moments and where the story goes like I said I've got a little bit of you know like we said from the beginning I've, I've got a bit of a plan and I kind of got an idea but I like I look back on those you know what I've written there, and obviously there's there's mistakes, and I you know swap swap sentences around, delete paragraphs, and things like that. But if I'm really able to write something in that zone, then it's usually really like I really usually I really enjoy what I've written there, mm. rather than if I sit down and go, okay, I have to try and figure this fucking thing out now, and like where am I taking this, and try and force it, then yeah. it's it becomes more difficult, and then it's then you start doubting your decisions, and then. I think it's like that thing, you know, we've been talking about the idea of like going with the gut and going, trusting your instincts. And it takes a long time to be able to get to that point where you can trust your instincts. But once you're there, um, it's, uh, you know, it can, you can produce really awesome things. Yeah, I, I, there's something in that. And it kind of plays back to something you said before, like this idea of you only really fail by stopping. But to some degree, there's this sense that good decisions are about motion you know it's a good so for example there's a phrase where i used to use all the time that students used to absolutely hate it because i would say every day to somebody which is not making a decision is a decision not making a choice is a choice it's a commitment yes. to repeat yourself right um yep. there's there's no motion when you when you when you do that and that's okay sometimes not doing something is a good decision right that's fine yes but but not making a not making a choice um, because you think that that's actually going to help you in the long run is, is an error because actually it stops motion. And there's yeah. another thing that I think is quite interesting, which is the idea of removing decisions, like the idea that you could remove choices from, from your, your life um, through the act of things like routine. I mean, I don't, I don't yeah. know if you've got anything that works for you like that, but I know that I find oh, if you loads. remove... Yeah, like if you remove <laughs> some decisions... so you. Do, because there's only so much capacity you've got, really, every single day. And if you're loaded up, it's kind of like you've, you've, you've completely loaded up the RAM of your brain. And, <laughs> and, and, yeah. and then there's, there's nothing going on in the moment. And you really want to empty that out. What, and what's the, who said this? Be like water. What's that? Where's that from? Did you know? Um, Bruce Lee, isn't it? Bruce Lee. Um, it's, so. either, it's either Bruce Lee or it's um, Terence McKenna. And I think it might be... A, like, I think Bruce Lee said something about being about water, and I think McKenna yeah. also said something similar. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I can't say that I'm especially like water most of the time, but I, I think the idea that you you remove things that make it difficult for you to keep moving. I mean, just one really quick kind of story. We There's an exercise that, that we used to do with, with this group of students to explain this idea, right? And we'd, we'd sit them around like, essentially like primary school children. They all thought it was ridiculous at first. At 18 years old, sat on the table and we'd play the game where you 
everybody has to just say a word, right? And it'll go, we'll go around in a circle and it doesn't matter what they say. They've got to say a word. Maybe we'd say you say a word beginning with B and, and they'll go, well, this is a game for five-year-olds. So stick with it and you'll see why we're doing it. And yeah. the, the same thing would happen every single time, which would be at some point around this circle, somebody would um, not know what to say. And after a couple of goes around, we'd kind of, we'd, we'd quiz them on it. We'd go, well, what is that? Because if you think about it, we just said, say literally anything. doesn't matter. Yeah. And yeah. so they would say, well, because I, I thought it had to be a cohesive thought or I didn't want to swear, right? Or I didn't want to embarrass myself or I didn't want to repeat what somebody else had said. I wanted it to be an original thought. We say, listen, I yeah. think you've missed the point of the game. The game is not for you to be right. The game is for, this, is, is for the kind of words to keep going around because if we keep going around, um, then we'll start to find a rhythm. And then we ended up um, by about week three, we started typing them live, right? Because I typed about as quick as you do as well. So yeah. I, would, I would type them up live and you'd end up with some really wild story premises that would be like created from the many mind of these like 20 people at once. And it would take yeah. us two or three minutes to get there. But the only way you get there is by not letting yourself stop basically you've got to let this whole thing flow and trust that some where it's going to start making sense yeah i totally agree i mean like the the idea of having only so much ram in your head and uh i mean like i i only ever wear black clothes like i've got like three pairs of black jeans yeah t- 10 black t-shirts 10 black pairs of pants 10 pack bl- 10 black pairs of socks um and you know i've got my cuff uh, leather cuff, a bit of jewellery, my glasses, and that's me done, and mm. my boots. And and I, like, refuse to wear anything else. It's not that I necessarily refuse, but it's like, why would I bother wearing anything else? I look good like this. And the guy walks around in black all the time. Yeah, yeah. And I don't have to think about anything. And I'm like, I'm not... The idea of having to choose, like, uh, like what I, you know, get up and have... Just, just that sort of stuff facilitates me a bit having, uh, you know, being a little bit better at um, kind of decision making and things like that. But yeah, just um, the the idea of flow, I think, is really an interesting one as well. Mm-hmm. And you kind of um, trying to get in that flow, I think, again, comes with experience and uh, and confidence. And the confidence and experience just comes with time, a lot of the time, and, and repetition and practice. So, like you're saying with with your with your students, there they're a bunch of eighteen year olds, and you know, and I probably would have been terrible in that class because I would have been screaming and shouting at people who who wouldn't have uh, <laughs> the shyer people in the class because I was always a bit of a dick when it came to that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, like, you know, you say at the beginning of the term, we set the exercise, they don't get it. By the end of the term, they get it and we're, and we're, we're facilitating really good ideas. So I'm a big advocate of practice and, you know, the whole 10,000 hours thing. And I mm-hmm. think I, I felt like I really acquired or got over that 10,000 hour, hour milestone. I think I personally needed about 20,000 hours, to be honest, um, because I really only, I felt like I got, like the amount that I've been writing and the amount of time that I spent writing over the last 20 years, I'm sure that I got that 10,000 hours a long time ago, but uh, I still wasn't confident enough or uh, in my own, um, you know, abilities and decisions, decision-making to go to have that flow and to be able to get into that flow. So I would have my, you know, I'd have my moments, which are, which help, you know, push me on to, to, to push me to carry on. Um, but I wasn't quite there, and I think I needed quite a few more hours than the regular ten, the, the, that ten thousand that they say. But I got what, whatever, it, however many it was that I needed. I really feel like I've got there now, and the, you know, how that has happened at the same time as this all this NFT and Web three stuff kicking off is quite. Uh, I don't know whether that's like synchronicity or, or uh, serendipity, but uh, it's it's working. Um, but yeah, it's like I, now I kind of feel at a position with it, with my creative decision making and my writing where I can go into that space where I can just flow and trust the flow as well. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time to get there. It took me a long time to get there. But once once it comes, it's uh, really nice, actually, just to be there. It really is. And I think this kind of is going to take us almost full circle, which will be quite nice because we're coming back to a place... There's a phrase I like, and I don't actually know who said it, but I've heard it at some point in the last two years, which is 
you don't have to be the best at any one thing to be almost exclusively, you know, incredible at something because usually it's the place where lots of very different interests meet that create a very, very, very specific point of view. And I think yeah. that, I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase false proxy, but there's this idea of, uh, the false proxy essentially means that we, we choose the wrong metric to judge something by. So for, right. you know, let's just say somebody's trying to judge, you know, am I attractive or not? And they're not entirely sure. So they, take, they, they stand on the scales and they go, well, maybe I could lose a pound. So the new proxy uh, measurement that they use for whether they're attractive or not becomes a scale um, right. because it's the one thing that they can measure. Obviously, yeah. it's not necessarily the right question to ask in the first place, and that's certainly not the best way to, to measure it. But we do that in all areas of our life. You know, when we ask ourselves, you know, how do we know if a decision is good or not? I think where I'm getting to here is it's good to ask yourself what metric you're using to decide if something is a good choice. Because yeah. often a short-term metric is, is, is not going to help you because the long-term benefit of actually going down the wrong roads over and over again and actually yeah. mapping the territory that other people are never going to map because you're boldly going where you feel and they're not going to go there with you necessarily means that you create almost an unassailable network of experience to bring to your work. Um, so I guess it's, it's a long way around of saying that I really do think that making the wrong decision is probably the more frequently is the best decision that you can make. Yes. You know? Well, I mean, like there's when I first started getting into marketing and, and doing the whole social media thing and web 2.0 back in 2006, 2007, there was a whole lot of like new era marketers kind of coming into like, you know, like we've got all of you know, the guys in the web three space now, um, 6529 and, uh, you know, the, the different punks and some of the influencers who are talking, you know, about these really amazing things. Back in 2006, you had like Seth Godin and various other guys coming in and, and speaking new marketing. And one of the things that always stuck with me, um, which was about the web, you know, the, the, the initial part of the Web 2 era was fail fast, fail often. And it's like you only get better if you if you take risks and you know, you're going to fall on your ass uh, and, and hit walls and make mistakes and, and have failures. But if you're willing to take that on the chin and keep going, then you'll get better. Uh, and you only get better from, you know, th those mistakes. It's like, um, you, you, and, I, and I kind of really embraced that with my, um, when I was working in marketing teams and we were like wanting to launch a new, a uh, Facebook page or like a, a, a web app or so, a mobile app or something like this, a website. But then, um, yeah, I embraced that in my writing as well because that was about the time which I stopped trying to be a journalist and started to be a fiction writer. And and I was like, right, okay, well, I've just I've got to, you know, uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead with this and and I'm just gonna take it and see where it goes. And if I fall on my ass, then great. And if not, hopefully, then I can make something of it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I agree, man. You've got, but this this is the challenge as as a human being in general is mm. to have the confidence to accept and engage with failure. And yes. you know, it's it, that's really really hard for a lot of people. I saw a really really sad um, like uh, Instagram story the other day, and weirdly enough, it was on Lad Bible, I think, or something ridiculous. One of these, you know, mm -hmm. usual kind of super meme orientated things. And basically, it's just this um, th this lady, and they just came up to her and said, "Oh, if you had some advice for your younger self, what would it be?" And she's had this like sort of really melancholic and and kind of sad look in her eyes, and she just said, "Oh, I just tell myself to to take more risks and to try and you know um, like dare to do more things because if you don't do that, you're never going to live the life that you want to." And obviously, it was like. It was it was really it was really sad because now she was clearly in her fifties or sixties and yeah. it seemed like she hadn't lived the life that she wanted to because she hadn't taken the risks when she was a bit younger and luckily I was always uh, in a, I always took a lot of risks and maybe a few too many over the years um, but uh, yeah I've I've done all right out of it so it, learning to be comfortable with risk taking and failure. Uh, is really tough and then but hopefully once you can embrace that and engage with that and move on with it you can mm. 
um, make the decisions um, that, that will facilitate great things. Oh, totally, man. And I'll just kind of echo something that we said earlier on that plays into that beautifully, which is that can seem like, you know, like what, what, is, the, what is the practical step in order to do that? Because obviously there's people in the room here, but there's also going to be people who listen in uh, to a podcast. I'm slightly breaking the fourth wall here because this is supposed to be just us having a chat, but it's, it's worth away. it just for a second. It's too late. Hello, everyone. <laughs> uh, the, I think the practical step that I, I think is worth taking for anybody is when you feel that sense that there's a little bit of danger for you in putting a piece of work out there, when you feel that sense that you're worried that maybe you might be about, that what if it's not right? Just do it because yes. it doesn't matter. And the reason it doesn't matter is because and this is this is another thing I often say to myself is, well, would me one year from now thank me regardless? And if and, and me one year from now doesn't care what an idiot I made of myself a year ago if yeah. eventually it led me to be able to have a better quality of idea when I really need it down the line. And yes. Easier said than done, but, you know, I've, I've certainly been um, on both sides of this, so I can tell you that you, it, it's achievable through exposure. A hundred percent, totally agree. And I, um, I've, been, I've always been that guy who's just gone like, right, okay, I'm just going to put stuff online. I'm just going to get people to read my stuff because I've, bit of an attention seeking dickhead sometimes <laughs> and it's a bit to be blunt and uh, and I've all and I and I and, and you know you know reflecting on it as a 38 year old man in comparison to being an 18 year old student um I did need validation I I, I, I sought validation uh, massively and I still do to this day but uh, whereas a lot of people are worried or a lot of my peers at the time were really worried about what their other peers would say and what other people would say about their writing. I studied journalism, so I had all these mates who were writing things. Mm. I just didn't give a shit. I was just like, any, like, I just wanted feedback off anybody I could get feedback from. And I wanted people to read my, anybody who I could convince to read my stuff, to read my stuff. And I, I, I like became the music editor of the university's magazine. And I was just like firing out um, emails and calls um, to, um, to any PR, uh, sorry, to, to any agents and management teams that I could find for all the bands that I liked, because I was like a metalhead, still am a metalhead. And I was like, right, if I can just interview all my heroes, then that's, that's going to be, that's going to facilitate my writing. So I was like, right, okay, let's, let's do this. And I got all of these big interviews. And I like, in my third year of uni, I set myself the challenge of having the front cover um, the lead article in every issue of the magazine, which was like nine issues over the year, um, and I was and I and I did it, and uh, and I interviewed everybody from like Vanilla Ice to kind of Yuri Geller and all sorts of different bands, nice. and it, and, it, and it was like a really wild time, and everybody was like, oh Rick, you know, uh, how, you know, you get so lucky, you you kind of you know you have all the you get all these things, and I was like, well, one, whilst you're getting stoned and playing GameCube, I'm in the library researching like agents and, and PR companies and sending out emails. But yeah. two, I also was like in a, in a, I was like, like I said, I was quite brazen and I was in a, in a kind of a position where I just didn't give a shit. And I was like, right, I'm just going to go out and fire off emails to people, talk to people and, um, and then write my articles. And if somebody likes it, great. And if they don't, then they don't. And like I said, I wasn't a particularly good writer, but I just had, you know, for whatever reason, um, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really care. And like, I think if you can learn, if, if, it's, if that's difficult for you, you can learn ways around it. And if it's easy for you, then try and embrace that. Don't be like a total prick, uh, you know, try and remain humble. But, um, you know, if you, if you mm. can, if you, you know, if you can dare to uh, dare, dare to dare, so to speak, then, uh, then, you know, it, it can lead to really awesome things. Yeah, I'm going to I tell you, I'm going to see if there is anybody in the room that wants to ask something, because I think I may have ignored a couple of requests. Speakers, <laughs> no um, because we were so busy talking that I think yeah. they just kind of came. Away. I told but, you you wouldn't be able to shut me up. But that's good, though, man. This, see, this is what I like about this idea for a, a session, because I think when we when we do the panels and things, they're going to be hyper focused, talking around like a often a technical kind of subject with a, a bunch of people when we do deep dives it's an interview and it's you know really delving into a specific piece of work potentially 
but this is just a chance to kick back and have a conversation and that's mm-hmm. my favorite thing to do so it's good um right we've we've got a this is where we find out if i can use twitter spaces technology okay was i think um we've got you up on the stage so i don't know if there's something you want to ask or something you want to you want to say See, now, Rick, you get to experience the brief moment of stage filling where I think Wes has jumped out of the room and he's going to jump back in again, potentially. <laughs> and we'll no see worries. what... This is This is going to be good. This is going to be good. I'm expecting magic Oh, now. what? So, you, so you're expecting me to fill, fill the silence now? Is oh, it? it's okay. We've, we've fixed it, I think. <laughs> um, right, Wes, how are you doing? Are you there? Hey, gentlemen. Awesome. First of all, thanks, guys, for the talk. I, you know... It's funny, you know, I, I really connected to a lot of what you guys said, working for um, an insurance agent, like going, I've been working in there five years. I just went to a bigger firm with like more people, bigger decisions to make. And it really impacted such small decisions. And it wasn't until I went with my gut and just kind of went with the decisions of overthinking if I'm going to make that mistake or not. It really is about like just going with it and what you believe is the best at the time for you. I mean, obviously, don't say mean things, but at the same time, yeah, I think it's cool. Think- All the stuff you said was really good. Thank you. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. I think you're right. It's There's a lot to be said with kind of going with your instincts um, and it's it can be chat like it, like we said all the way through what we've been talking about um it can be really challenging to get to the point where you can trust yourself or you feel confident yes. enough in yourself to, to to kind of really trust your your guttural instincts and to not second guess yourself and to have that flow but once you've got that it's um yeah it, it's really nice it can facilitate pretty cool things it is, and it's like I write so much, and then I, I can read it back sometimes and realize, wow, that idea was actually a lot better the second time read. Or yeah, and it's always nice to. I tend to see most of my more successful tweets are the ones I don't really think about the most, and put as much yep. time in defining, you know. And if I don't know something to start with, I just start with like a, a poetic form that I like, and I try to run with that, you know, with the meters and the rhyme schemes. And then I yep. build off that if I don't have anything right off the bat. I, th- I think what's really interesting, man, is, um, I mean, I see you posting a lot. And I think the thing that I love about that is so many people hold back from sharing. And the fact that you post so often means that you are constantly developing your own internal model of what works for you as a writer. And I think what's something that I wanted to mention, but we didn't get a chance to mention it in this talk is, you know, doesn't AI get embarrassed by its early snapshots, you know, when it's sharing work out there? No, it's part of the process. It's a process. It, it, they, they are a byproduct of um, a system that is attempting to, to kind of replicate or build its own model of, of how to see the world. And I think sometimes we can learn that lesson from, uh, from, from the AI because we can look at it and go, well, actually... Our goal isn't just to put something out that's good now. Our goal is to consistently upgrade the mental model we use as writers um, so that we can become better at telling our stories in whatever form that is. Um, I, I mean, that, does, does that ring true for you, Waz? How does that feel? Yeah, I agree. I, I, um, I, use, it, I use Twitter as an outlet. I, I like going... Mm. Was is actually my initials, but I kind of learned to build this idea that I write from the past and everything I've written has been let go so i was like it was nice. a past tense form of it so mm. I've been i love that, that by the way thanks and i appreciate that you notice uh, i am kind of constant on here i try just to keep my writing just i don't really retweet as much as i should but you know i just want to define my craft get a following and you know not seem like a bot sometimes i feel like you can get lost in the twitter feed real quick Man, can you imagine if they made a bot that could write as well as you, buddy? <laughs> We'd all be in trouble. No way. I appreciate it. And um, what was I going to say? If I had a, like, a question for you guys is how, as like, I'm not young in any means. I'm 27. But how would somebody who doesn't have eyes on his writing get more eyes on it or go out there and promote himself? Marketing. How would you do that? Oh, man, it's that's. The $64 million question, it's, it's, 
the the hustle is is hard man and it's something that i've been battling with since i had my first blog made for me in now i'm going to sound really old uh 2003 i think um 2004 i know that i've got like blog posts which i can find on way back when machine that date back to 2004 and so that's how long I've been trying to get people to read my writing on, on the internet. Basically. You have to use the Wayback Machine. That's tough. Yeah, yeah which, which, is, which is a long time. So no. and ju- ju- during that time, basically, it's just been, yeah, it's just been the hustle. And it's been trying to find different ways to engage people with, with, my, with my writing. And I've done, I used to use Reddit a lot. And I used to, um, you know, write stories on Medium, post them on Reddit, post them on different, uh, all sorts of different platforms. And, and I never, I had, you know, I had a couple of moments of success doing that with my, with my online stuff and where, you know, a particular Reddit post for whatever reason may, may pick up a bit of traction and I get a couple of thousand readers, something like that. But really the most amount of success that I've had in this, in the writing kind of sphere has been over the last 10 months since I've been engaging in the, uh, in the NFT community and really engaging in that community and building up a bit of a following uh, by doing whatever I do, just, you know, shitposting and, and trying to talk to people and quoting Nietzsche and various other, other random stuff. <laughs> so it's like, I, um, that, that, and that's, that's just, that that's come from like a conscious decision that I made back in January, February, where I said, you know what, I'm just going to like really kind of uh, open up the floodgates here because I've been so, uh, kind of slowly, slowly, kind of baby steps, cautious about uh, utilizing kind of Twitter or different social media platforms in the past around my writing. That this time I just went right. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm at this point now. I'm just going to like open up the floodgates and engage with it. And I did engage with it, and it's working. So I don't know. I mean, it doesn't. There's no. There's no magic pill for any of this sort of stuff. And there's no like one true answer. Um, and it, and, yeah. and I and I wish there was because it would obviously help everybody out. But I think with what you're doing right now and, you know, kind of posting the amount that you're posting and trying to build up that following, utilizing Twitter. Um, yeah, just keep keep doing that, I would hope. And keep engaging with other people. It's like having these conversations, you know. And when I, when I try to use, like, this hashtag writing community, right, on Twitter, and not to kind of completely disparage anybody to uh, entering that community or, or, like, shitting on it in any way, it, it was, like, really tough for me to engage there because... Um, a lot of people did, actually didn't talk about writing and not that a lot of people talk about writing in the NFT space or even particularly are a lot of the time, obviously these days it's about flipping and making money and stuff, but there are, you find that you find a certain core group of people, which will help, you know, uh, develop your voice and, and expand on, uh, expand your help, uh, expand your community. So yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm this kind of, I've become this believer in community now and trying to build that by, having as many conversations as you can yeah i think that's good it ties back to confidence what you guys were saying before Mm -hmm. you know don't let anyone ever take your confidence if someone's taking that away from you you need to get out of that situation because your confidence is what makes you unique and i think that's not to be cocky but you know you need to always believe you're going to be something one day if someone's gonna knock you down that's gonna that could honestly kill you it does come full circle to what we were saying at the beginning that you know who, who do you need to be to be able to make the kind of decisions you want to make to, to go in the direction you want to go? And if certain circumstances and situations um, consistently lead you into a state that mean you can't be that person, then you've got to be careful because that's going to mean that you don't get to show up in the way that you want to. Um, Rick gave an amazing answer, so I'm not going to attempt to kind of um, do anything in addition to that other than to say... Um, to echo recent about community and to say, you know, sometimes it's nice just to build a reasonably small group of people who've got your back and kind yeah. of e- e- everybody push each other, you know, everybody's on that same page. And also realizing that sometimes not having the world's eyes on you is actually a pretty handy situation because it means that you do have more freedom to take bigger risks, make big, bold moves and fail in public without it being absolutely catastrophic. So, um, you know, let, think, let things happen at the time that they need to happen. And if you consistently show up and you do what Rick's saying, I thought the best advice that 
you could possibly get there was have more conversations. I mean, that really is, you know, that, that's the surefire way. You know, it's always that thing of if you can, if you can make it happen one-on-one, um, if you can have that conversation one-on-one and somebody connects with you, then there's a guarantee that even if it's slow, you are slowly building a team around you that have got your back. Um, it's a bit more difficult to guarantee mm-hmm. doing the same thing to 100,000 people at once. So do the thing that you can definitely do. Um, going to build a good foundation. And just the last yeah. thing is, KZA is definitely somebody who I, he was like my first kind of guy on my boat. And yeah. then I built from there and yeah, seen them rise from every, from nothing pretty much, KZA. Oh yeah, and his project that we keep talking about where he put a topic out, I think there's a new one out today, a topic out where people respond um, with a piece of poetry. The beauty of that project and I've said this a few times and I'll keep saying it, is that it encourages people to share something that they didn't necessarily take that long to write, which means that we don't have everybody sat, you know, keeping their their first drafts to themselves, their second draft, their third drafts, only sharing the most perfect possible work. You've got somebody who's putting something out there fairly early and it means that we can all be comfortable kind of sharing that work with each other. That's an amazing project, and it's been good to see you enter it um, oh, regularly yeah. too. So um, we're, we're going to – yeah, yeah. And thank you for hopping up on the stage and asking such wonderful questions as well. Um, Rick, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I've loved this, honestly. It's been such a relaxing and interesting chat. Yeah, it's been really interesting, man. Um, I, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it as well. And I just looked at the time and like we just spent like an hour and 20 minutes just kind of uh, shooting the shit. So, uh, yeah, thank yeah. you for inviting me up to uh, to take part, man. I've uh, I've had a great evening and, and I hope uh, I've, I've dropped at least, you know, maybe one or two nuggets of, of, <laughs> of uh, useful, oh, useful information or thoughts there that, that other writers or, or creatives might be able to use. Um, so, yeah, th- just thanks for, thanks for giving me the opportunity, man. Oh, no problem, yeah, man. It's been a pleasure. It yeah. Awesome. Well, we're listening more. We've got more sessions coming up. So um, after this session is complete, if anybody wants to get in touch and get involved with the Crypto Writers Discord, then drop me a message, um, drop me a DM, and I will send you the link. Um, and we'll be posting whatever sessions are coming up next on Twitter as well. So make sure that you tune in for those. And thank you to everybody that's stuck around with us for an hour and 20 minutes. Hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And see you later. Thanks very much, guys. Speak to you later. All right. All right. Thanks, everybody. I'm going to close the room in a couple of seconds. So thank you. This has been a blast, honestly. Good night, guys.